everyone, this is Abby Alcox with Badgerland Journal, back at it again with another episode, and today we have two guests here. We have Steve Schaffer and Michael Barrera, um, who are the, well, head archivists and then assistant archivists mm-hmm. of the Milwaukee County Historical Society. So, hello. Hi. Hello, thanks for having us. Yeah, so you guys currently have, so this idea came from the exhibit that is currently at the Milwaukee County Historical Society, where we're recording, woot woot, mm-hmm. um, which is talking about breweries in Wisconsin, and we actually, this is a re-recording of our first two minutes of this episode, because I messed up the microphone, <laughs> but you're talking about how this was born from a exhibit you had, kind of where the Third Street Market is now? Yeah, um, we, we opened a place called... Uh, Brew City MKE, and it was a combination museum and bar. And it was in the, um, there was an old Applebee's footprint in the Grand Avenue, uh, right at the T intersection of Third and Wisconsin. And um, that's where most of the the content and a lot of the uh, storyboard material uh, came from. And we, we, our lease ended there and we moved out and the, the, there was a, a, a lot of demand for the exhibit. People wanted to see it, so um, we decided that we would uh, put it up as a semi-permanent mm-hmm. exhibit on the first floor. Yeah, and I started here last summer, last June, and this exhibit went in in the fall, maybe two, three, four months maybe, after I started working here, and I was just really impressed by the quality of the exhibit. Um, the text, but also the images and, and the coverage, uh, looking at all sorts of aspects of Milwaukee brewing history, which we'll get into today. Yeah, well, I think it's just a. I'd had multiple multiple requests previously to do like beer in Wisconsin, just because mm-hmm. it is kind of a staple. But especially in Milwaukee, there it's a very popular like brewery spot. And so, do you guys know what kind of led to the fact that you had major breweries starting specifically in Milwaukee? Well, um, there it was a combination of factors. Um, Milwaukee had the natural uh, resources, mm-hmm. so it was a close uh, proximity to um, land where where you could grow the ingredients like mm-hmm. grain and hops. Um, access to uh, to water. Uh, in rivers and lakes, the, the water was more important for creating ice. Mm-hmm. And then um, Milwaukee uh, has a lot of uh, underground water, spring water. Uh, Wisconsin Avenue used to be called Spring Street for that very reason. So you had the, the, the water, the fresh water for the, um, for the, for the, for the beer itself. And the, the, the topography, the hills... Uh, in in the area, and Milwaukee was much hillier originally, so you could make caves for lagering for that for that process where the beer had to, uh, after fermenting it, 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 you know, it's part of the process, so it's a a, a while, and, and that worked out um, um, great. Yeah, and the climate played a part too, because until the development of mechanical refrigeration in the 1880s. Right having a cold climate was highly advantageous because lager had to ferment in the cold. Right. Um, Geography, again, uh, you know, proximity to Lake Michigan and waterways for transportation. And then, uh, you know, railroads, you know, increased that 
that um, um, accessibility. Milwaukee was a hub, and it was linked with Chicago. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and Milwaukee and Schlitz, I think, specifically played a big part in the Chicago Fire, sending beer down there. It was like the first um, really, uh, you know, big... I think national exposure maybe yeah. to, to, to Milwaukee's beer. And then it's the Germans. Mm-hmm. Which kind of leads into the next question I had, which is why are so many of the beer barons that come out of Milwaukee of German descent, either like one or two generations of German immigrants? Well, I, I mean, Milwaukee received a lot of German immigrants, mm-hmm. um, especially after 1848. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and there was a yeah. network of communication with the old country. Hey, we're here. It's yeah. pretty cool. The failed revolutions of 1848 right. in multiple, right. multiple European countries, right. including what, what became Germany. And um, you see that with the Turners, right? A lot right. of free thinkers, a lot of people on the left end of the spectrum after those revolutions failed. So you had those push factors, right, with migration, but you also had pull factors, right? Um, you know, the, the farming here was similar to, to what it was in Northern Europe, which I think was, or Central Europe, um, helped to draw Germans to this part of the state, right? Whereas, say, um, Swedes or Finns would go further north, right? Upper Peninsula of Michigan or, or Minnesota. Um, and I think, too, it, it was a critical mass at a certain point that once you had enough Germans in Milwaukee, it became more of a destination for other Germans, right? Agreed. Community here, German language newspapers, Gemutlichkeit, the whole the whole nine yards, um, right? Which is which is part of their culture. Beer beer wasn't just a drink or a beverage. It was it was part of um, music, food, mm-hmm. um, you know uh, this this idea of friendliness yeah. or, or or goodness is is I think what the rough translation yeah. is. And and I mean, you know the the Germans. Um, the immigrants, they had an experience and, and a level of skill with brewing. So it was only natural that, that they would, you know, bring that with them. Isn't there, like, some German law for, like, purity of beer? Y- yes, there yes, is. there yes. is. Um, my, <laughs> I knew I should have looked this up, but I don't remember exactly. I don't exactly. know the date off the top of my head, but my uncle, Reinhardt, I'm actually, on, on my mom's side, my, my grandparents, my Oma and Opa, came over in 1962. Oh, wow. So quite, quite late for German-American, so we still have uh, a lot of family in the old world. And my uncle, Reinhardt, always, always uh, points out to me how Germans had their priorities in order because they... they passed the German beer purity law about 300 years before they started state, state building, right? <laughs> right. With, with I Germany think it not... was like 1500s yeah, or something Yeah, I want to like say that. it was yeah. like early 16th century or yeah. late but 15th. I think that's does right. Does it like to qualify as beer, it has to be like, what, wheat, mm. water? Pops, mm-hmm. water. Yeah. Is it four or three? I don't know. Uh, we're going we're gonna to get drilled on this one, but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so beer was was really um, you know integral to their culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, they brought it with them. So that's just kind of why, if you have enough German immigrants in yeah. one city, <laughs> there will be beer. The interesting <laughs> thing, though, is the first brewery in Milwaukee actually was not a German right. brewery. It was Lake Brewery, which was founded by Welsh immigrants in 1840, and that was just north of the Summerfest grounds. Okay. And they made more English style, like mm-hmm. ales, yep. orders. Um, but, you know, that, that they didn't last. 
that long. But but you're right. They you know let's not forget the Welsh. It was it wasn't monolithic, right. but obviously very very highly uh, German. Yeah. So when it comes to these breweries, like just off the top of my head, you have Miller, you have Pabst, you have Schultz. 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 Ah, I don't drink that as much. <laughs> if I have to drink beer, I'm drinking. Well, if I don't drink like craft beer right mm-hmm. i drink pbr right <laughs> i live near the Pabst mansion so i have to keep a little bit of uh, nice. <laughs> i don't know the loyalty to right. the area i live in um but how did these brands go from being you know small german breweries in milwaukee to these are internationally known i think at one point like was it Pabst exporting like the highest number of mm-hmm. beer internationally at, i believe at one point yeah, and it was the biggest brewery in the country, wasn't it, yes. in the late 19th century? Yes, and, and they, Schlitz and Paps kind of vibe for that mm-hmm. that that leadership role. We, we had talked before about the Chicago Fire, and that was kind of the big break for, for Schlitz. Um, incre- you know, like a, a technological development like pasteurization, mm-hmm. um, refriger- re- refrigeration for railroad cars really extended their, um, their reach. And Michael and I were talking that even internationally, there may be like, especially not not, you know, but like in Mexico or South America, mm-hmm. there would be licensing for brewing the beer down there. Um, so th- re- let's not forget though, there was also Anheuser Busch. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, you know, a big a big name. I mean, beer was a um, it was a, a popular it was a popular drink, and it was you know not as there, there was more of a culture and a, and a, and a, a, a I guess, a, a, a camaraderie or, or, or a spirit of um, even like family with beer, whereas you don't get that with, you know, hard liquor. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a different style of, 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 um, of, of drinking or imbibing. And um, very social one. Very social one, exactly. So you had... You know, you had you had your beer halls, and then you had your beer gardens, mm-hmm. and and I mean, it's very much a European um, model. If you've been to Amsterdam, or if you've been to any yeah. of the countries, they they have the, the yeah. plazas and and kind of know. like tea in Britain or coffee in a lot of countries, right? right? Well, I think it's interesting, like, cause how we got connected was you guys had the um, what was it, pints and propaganda mm-hmm. speech mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about how influential like obviously this is in nazi germany but to some extent it's happening it happened in milwaukee as well is like these are places to like discuss issues and to kind of have camaraderie yeah camaraderie right. beer halls that's a, as tough, a, that's a tough one beer yeah. halls as a um a political space yeah right. yeah so it serves not just like a we're gonna get drunk but yeah like, right. like socializing right. and yeah. kind of exchanging ideas yeah. as well yeah um, now I gotta look at my questions, see if we got. Oh, that was gonna say along with the international, wasn't it also like the invention of like glass bottles that it wouldn't like break upon. Did that? I don't know if I read that somewhere. Did that help uh, to increase like bottling and then and then you know cans as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that was that was much later. But yeah, the ability to to transport it in in uh, well, it, it was mainly kegs I think for a while, but but. But bottles, yeah, certainly for local uh, distribution in the in the city. Yeah, and um, and at the beginning, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say it was a way not to get into tide houses right away. But I mean, that was a way to 
to you know if they didn't have taps uh, that was a way to, to get uh, you know product to, to those or, or to any of their gardens their beer gardens yeah and um, one of the things that's most interesting to me is how um, in the mid 19th century most of the production was very localized you had, I think, 26 breweries that existed in 1856. Mm -hmm. And all of them, by modern definitions, would be microbreweries because right. they were producing less than, uh, I think, 3,000 barrels per year. And it's just really interesting to me how the, the ecosystem of beer at the time is actually quite similar to the way it is now after the craft beer revolution, where you have a lot of you know microbreweries, brew pubs, that kind of thing, producing locally either for their own restaurant, uh, taverns, saloons, those things in their immediate in their immediate neighborhood. It, it, it's come full circle, really. Mm -hmm. it, it's you know, again, small breweries, neighborhood breweries, then you know the big industrial breweries, and now you know back to the smaller, mm -hmm. perhaps. And I mean, still some good size breweries like you know Sprecher and and um, Lakefront mm -hmm. and you know there's there's so many more now it's it's really kind of hard to keep track of them and they're all yeah. you know they all have a fair amount of product but you know local yeah I know and one of my favorite beers is um, it's called the White Casper but it's from a Stevens Point brewery mm -hmm. and I can get it by my brother who lives in Mosney and I can actually get it into Pierre, which is where I'm from, but I cannot find that anywhere right, down right, here. Right. So it's just like based on like your region, you mm -hmm. have access to different types of beer. But yeah, so we kind of touched on this and it kind of sounds like you guys think that like the culture that kind of became part of Milwaukee due to beer was almost like imported with the German immigrants. But I was going to my next question was, what are the cultural and social impacts of Milwaukee becoming the beer capital of the world? Well, I mean, social, um, I mean, we Milwaukee had a reputation. Mm -hmm. uh, what is it, was it Munich? Munich of the West or Munich and the, the, there was a, a name the, to describe the, the city. German Athens? German Athens, that's yeah. it. Or the Midwest Munich or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, so, you know, obviously, um, I think nationally that was like what our what our you know our, our, our what do you, what our brand was yeah. before they call it <laughs> before it's called a brand. Um, socially, I mean, you, you see it with all the 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 you know the the beer gardens, the different the different parks. I mean, part of it too, though. I think that the important thing that I see is just how the the brewing industry created so many more mm -hmm. industries, so many more companies were linked to it. Those, you know, companies that manufactured kegs, you know, all the Coopers, some of that was done in-house, mm -hmm. but, but, you know, places like Pritzloff Hardware had equipment that was used, mm -hmm. um, Vilter, um, uh, manu manufacturing made you know some of the the tanks that were that were used so there was this whole chain of production uh, uh, industries that came out of the the, the brewing industry which it, it's it's more economic I guess but it's but it's it's it really made again made the fabric of the city and it made Milwaukee a city that was a place where you could really you know make a decent living mm -hmm. and 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 there were a lot of uh, 
really good jobs. Um, and that, that was not only 19th, but also into the 20th century. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another thing, and, and this maybe is front of mind for me after living in Texas the last seven years before I came here, a very dry place. Um, also, like blue laws dry or just dry? Well, dry, dry. There, are still, there are still dry counties in Texas, um, you know, where, where alcohol is, is, is totally illegal. Um, wow. most, most counties are what they call mixed, where there are some restrictions. And so the city I lived in, the county seat, had slightly different laws about liquor. And it was just really interesting. But one thing that's, that's very visible to me after living that way for, for seven years is seeing all of the corner bars and taverns here in Milwaukee. And it really does feel a little bit like that line from Cheers, right? Everyone knows your name. Like right. everyone has their like their home bar, right? Their corner bar. You can see that part of the social fabric here in a way that that just doesn't doesn't exist in Texas. And that was really interesting to me. And another thing is, you know, I, I guess on the, the negative side of the coin is right. We have higher rates of. Um, you know, alcohol poisoning and, and drunkenness and those kinds of things here. Um, you know, when I first moved here, my, my first week here, I got ads for a, a don't drink and drive, a don't ride a motorcycle and drive, and a don't operate a don't drink and operate a motor, uh, excuse me, a, a boat uh, under the influence, PSA, all in the same week. Um, but, you know, going full circle, I think another thing that that, that problem causes here in Wisconsin, especially in Milwaukee, is a really strong NA non-alcoholic dry movement, both with beer, but with other kinds of spirits. And you see more of that community around, you know, sober living here, you know, institutions, but also like groups of friends. Um, I think that's much more in the open here. And it's really neat to see, you know, the dry bars in the city or, you know, at my local Metro market, they have 17 or 18 different NA beers in the cooler at any one time. Which have so, vastly improved. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and, and now are, are, are quite good. I, another cultural thing, I think, is that um, it's sort of the, the joke, but people who are not from the city are just amazed at, you know, it, any event will have beer. It's not mm -hmm. really an event if it doesn't have beer. Church festivals, yep. anything that goes on in the park, the zoo, yep. everywhere. My sisters lived in uh, New Jersey around Philadelphia for a while, and they just loved coming back because they could get a beer just about any place mm -hmm. in the city. And that I think that has really still remained as, as, as part of the culture, not just, you don't have to just go to a bar. Yeah. And, and the recreation of the beer gardens, I think, is one of the coolest things yes. the city and the county has done, because that's yes. really the last yes. 10 or 15 years, right? Yes. That's a tradition that was dead for about a century. Yes. And it's something that when you consider how nice the summers are here, right? right. The Absolutely. climate, the, the quality of the park system here, the rivers, the lake, there's so many nice places to sit down and enjoy that. And it's a yeah. shame to think that that wasn't happening for a hundred years. Whitnall, Estabrook, yeah. all of those. That yeah. is, that is, that is German Milwaukee beer culture. Yeah. yeah. No, your comment about dry counties reminds me of, there's like a, image that goes around Facebook every once in a while of a map of Wisconsin and like the levels of like mm -hmm. binge drinking mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. and it's like somebody under it comments like 
oh, there's the one dry county. And then someone goes, no, that's Lake Winnebago. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no dry county in Wisconsin, I think. Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, man. I, I remember when I moved to Texas in 2015, driving through Little Rock, Arkansas, and there was a liquor store with a giant ad on the side of the building that said, buy your liquor now. The next three counties are dry. Wow. <laughs> hey, it's a good, it's a sell. Yeah. You know? But... Um, so, and it's interesting, it's very topical, because I saw that they were looking at repealing some of these laws mm-hmm. that has outlawed tied houses. Mm-hmm. So first, like, what is a tied house, I guess, to begin with? Well, it was a, it was a, a, a saloon that was um, associated with a brand of beer. The, the, um, the saloon keeper promised to sell only mm-hmm. that beer, and in exchange for that, he got the equipment, the bar... Um, uh, the bar furniture and mm-hmm. then the lease uh, to the building, and it was a it was a it was a great way for distribution and advertise advertisements for your product. So they they did um, they did a lot of them, um, and and then they would they would also take them to different places. Like there would be tied houses in Chicago. There would be tied houses in uh, Lacrosse. There'd be there, you know it was it was a it was a way to to market almost like franchises right right? exactly a little interesting it almost strikes me like the way that uh fast food restaurants will will pick a soda brand right right and then they'll just sell that one brand's products yeah um they um i'm trying to think um miller i think miller miller had the the fewest and then it was was schlitz Mm -hmm. pabst and Miller and Miller had like about a hundred of them, mm-hmm. so that you you can only you can only imagine what you know Schlitz and, and Pabst have. I don't have the numbers, but it's a heck of a lot. And they also were allowed to build them, so they would build these these uh, tied house saloons, and it would be in an architectural style that's very similar to the brewery itself. So you have that you have the one example that's in Wauwatosa on um, what is that Harwood and State. It's now a restaurant, but it used to be a tied house. If you look up at the top, it's kind of got a castle sort of mm-hmm. rook top, like a chess piece. Um, and and there's the paps, a symbol. Mm-hmm. So you know that uh, that that's 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 what they were um, a way to push your product. Um, branding. We were t- yeah, brand, and we were talking. I mean, prohibition kind of was the death knell for them, but I think antitrust laws yeah. would have gotten them later because that was considered like you know too much too many you know fingers in too many pies um kind of vertical it, integration right right and and like because you know these these uh breweries would would maybe have uh you know interests in railroads and, mm-hmm. and shipping mm-hmm. and things like that and, and that was refrigerator all part of the, cars yes, all of that yes yeah. yes yeah. all of the antitrust stuff but um you know, the, the idea that they would come back, again, I think we talked about this a little maybe before the, the broadcast, basically your brew pubs are Tide Houses. Mm-hmm. They are selling their beer. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know if it's just more of like an expansion, because right now, like, all the breweries can sell their beer yeah. at their, like, location, right. and oftentimes have, like, a whole separate, like, dining area, or, like bar I, I guess the difference is the tide houses weren't producing beer right they were just being stocked Which they were the being legal, stocked yeah. yes yeah. yes yeah. yes the legal that, difference dif- 
yeah, the legal difference for why breweries can sell their beer is because it's yeah. made on location. On yeah. Right. So and if it would start having like a lakefront, you know, tide house over in Wabatosa that you don't have to drive all the way yeah. over. Do, do they not do that already? It seems to me that... I feel like people like serve a lot of lakefront. Yeah. Like lakefront's everywhere. Like, But I think it's still illegal for you to exclusively have one beer contract right all right i i don't know i mean i i think i think it it, you know it 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 certainly wouldn't be you know a a bad idea i think it'd be a great idea and it would allow you to have that like little you know niche in the third ward where you're selling your yeah you know that kind of thing i i think that's fairly harmless yeah or maybe where it doesn't hold up is if there's another brewery that wants to sell its beer there too they can't be refused that that might be the the, the, the legal catch, catch. Yeah, yeah yeah well uh, i guess i don't know the ins and outs of like running a bar but if it's owned by like as you said they were leasing out like the buildings were owned by the breweries right. and then would lease it out to someone and then they would sell just their yeah, beer then it would be like so, a franchise mm-hmm. it'd yeah. be like it would be like a fran- a beer franchise you, you've got a lakefront franchise yeah and we just call it franchise now. yeah but in this yeah. case it could be considered a tied house and yeah. that would be a great marketing yeah um, yeah yeah because it maybe gets people over to the actual lakefront or buy a case of beer right and i don't know because i know at like lakefront i think you can buy a case of beer, although I don't know if that's true for like tide houses then, because don't, you, like bars don't you usually have to like open it at the bar because you can't leave with it. Mm-hmm. You probably don't. Well, know this actually, you know that have they changed that? Because I mean, bars always sold beer. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I, I yeah. grew up in the uh, late seventies, came of age late seventies, early eighties, and that yeah. was always the thing you did. You went to the bar and, and bought beer before you, you they couldn't and then you you could leave the bar with your six pack yeah and i think bars still sell beer that you can take out are the am i, I that am i that out of it i mean I, I haven't seen it like i've seen it at breweries but i haven't personally seen it at any of the bars well i'm gonna have to go on experiment yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm gonna just try. go to some bars and buy hey a can i get a 12 a six pack to go it was it was nothing they yeah. kept them in refrigerators just yeah. for that reason yeah and it reminds me you know another southern alcohol story is as you can probably imagine louisiana is the wettest of the southern states by a considerable margin <laughs> and one thing that uh texas kind of pokes fun at them about and other southern states poke fun at them about is how loose their open container law is and it's funny because you can have a plastic cup with a top like a plastic top that you put a straw through and as long as you put a piece of tape over the slit in the top it's technically a closed container in the state of louisiana so i i mean i don't know this but i wouldn't be surprised if the open container laws here are a little looser maybe than in other parts of the country Uh, well i guess well see i'm not an expert on this clearly because during covid bars were selling beer i thought like growlers of beer yes but i don't know if that's Diff- like those different because of they COVID. Were, yeah, they were doing it before too. I mean, you know, not to change states, but uh, we went up, you know, in Duluth. Um, mm-hmm. My my uh, sons lived up there for a while, and they worked at some breweries in Superior mm-hmm. and also in, in Minnesota. But the, the growlers, that was the thing. Yeah. I mean, um, and I mean, 
<laughs> so weird. My they, and and growlers is another tradition. My mom used to just complain um, when she would, you know, because her dad, my grandfather, who I never met, would send her to the bar. I mean, she's underage mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. a pail, a pail of beer to bring back home, and she hated doing that. But um, I, I, I just, you know, that I, I think they. I think you can sell beer. I think you can. I don't know. Maybe I'll have to do a well, little yeah, update at the end yeah, of this. Yeah, and I looked it up yeah. and found the answer. <laughs> um, but you kind of alluded to like why a lot of these breweries started to decline, especially Tide Houses were outlawed because they're looking to bring it back now. It had to be outlawed at some point, and that was prohibition. Right. So mm -hmm. what was... Other than, like, obviously negative, what were some of the effects of Prohibition on these ginormous breweries? I think it accelerated the consolidation because the small, the small breweries I just agree. couldn't survive it. Right. The big ones, right, could shift to, you know, cheese making, right? right. Chocolate. Or chocolate or um, uh, dairy, right? Yeah. Um, ice cream, those sorts of things. Gettleman, uh, Gettleman uh, made snow plows because... Mm -hmm. the, he, the, the, he was an engineer, I think. Fred Gilman was an engineer, and um, uh, you know, and, and, and the bigger to, to add to Michael's point, the bigger uh, breweries had hotels, mm -hmm. had restaurants, yep. had property, and yep. they could railroads, yeah, they could, they could, they had assets. They had a portfolio, whereas the little ones yep. really didn't. They had to sell their equipment and sell their yep. their property. Um, and that, that uh, you know, that, that negatively impact, impacted Milwaukee. And then, again, because you had this chain of production, all those other firms were affected, you know, by, the, by prohibition. It, you know, it, it, uh, it, it, was, it was devastating. And then to compound it, you know, the, the, the depression hit. Mm -hmm. um, but they also did sell like a malt syrup, which mm -hmm. was basically a starter for home brewing, which was incredibly popular and widespread during Prohibition. Mm -hmm. And places like Pritzloff Hardware that I brought up before mm -hmm. had all the copper tubing and all the stuff necessary. So there was like a run on those products. Because mm -hmm. um, Prohibition, because of the culture of, 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 of alcohol as family and social, um, or it, its social and family orientation was incredibly Unpopular, and that's just yeah. not beer. That would be wine as well. So you had you had a lot of Eastern Europeans, Germans, Italians, Irish, all of those cultures. It's it's the it's the the, the stick in the mud Yankees who are the, mm -hmm. the are the ones that don't want you know to, to drink, but the rest of these cultures did. And that's a that's an interesting point too. Is that we were talking about saloons and, and franchise and, and tight houses, saloon owners. Um, they, they, what was the number? Um, well, eighty-five percent of the saloons in the in the country were owned by breweries, mm -hmm. but in Milwaukee, a lot of the politicians were saloon owners, and saloon owners were politicians. I think mm -hmm. I think like one third of the forty-six aldermen in in nineteen hundred were were saloon owners, and that was that was political power. The saloon league. Mm -hmm. It was powerful. And this gets back to that, you know, immigrant and Yankee thing. 
uh, the, the prohibitionist people, the, the temperance people, didn't like the power that saloons had because it was immigrant mm -hmm. power. And, and I mean, that was a, it was a very complicated um, mix of, of, of things that went on with prohibition. Um, and, and all of them, all of them fascinating, but the bottom line is it really hurt Milwaukee's economy. Yeah. It hurt, well, it hurt revenue. Can you, you know, alcohol taxes were, mm -hmm. were the thing. And, and suddenly you had this, this, this mandated, um, uh, unfunded mandate mm -hmm. by the federal government you know, to, you know, to, to, to have uh, marshals and enforcement mm -hmm. agents, and um, you had no way to get the revenue anymore. It was, a, it was a stupid law, really. Yeah, and there was very, very little support for it here in the city. Oh, absolutely. In the, yeah, even in you the know, state. A lot of places were 50-50, right? But Milwaukee definitely mm -hmm. was. Right, there. right, absolutely. My favorite prohibition, like, loophole that I've come across so um, my family goes up to Washington Island, and there's Nelson's Hall that's up there. Oh, sure. And it was uh, the guy who owned it also is, like, the pharmacist. Mm -hmm. And apparently Bitters has a medicinal use. Mm -hmm. And so then he would prescribe people bitters, like shots of bitters, so that they could get around and drink alcohol. Mm -hmm. Although I don't know why you'd want to do more than one shot of bitters, other than to say, like, I'm right. part of the bitters club. Um, it was also alcohol, too. And, and there was even, like, medicinal yeah. beer. There was medicinal wine. That is an industry that excelled, was, was the sacramental mm -hmm. wine and the kosher wine-producing mm -hmm. um, <laughs> um, industries and, and there was and, and this this is one of the funniest things and it has to do with wine sorry not beer but I got to tell it there were like there were like fake rabbis mm -hmm. who would sell who would sell this this wine this bootleg kosher mm -hmm. wine and I mean there were so many different ways that that people you can get around got, it, it, got yeah. around it I mean this this soda shop all yeah. the taverns like if if we were to pull this one of these city directories here for like 1920, 21, it would there would be a soft drink, soft mm -hmm. drinks would would have replaced tavern, but they're all the same places. Mm -hmm. They had soda pop, and what you did is you brought in your your whatever you're drinking, you mixed it, and that was that. Yeah, um, prohibition definitely not a highlight in no American in history. Yeah. No, it was it was the one of the progressives. Worst ideas, I, I would have to say. Yeah, well, there are a few more, but prohibition yeah. was definitely up there. Well, it's interesting because it's like mixed with the idea of like temperance and the idea that women wanted to like stop having their husbands come home and beat them because they're drunk. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, you have like a very kind of xenophobic view of mm -hmm. kind of trying to restrict the immigrants for coming in and right. mm -hmm. who like to drink. And, and you know, again, that's the difference in the culture. Alcoholism is a, is a, is a human problem and, mm -hmm. it's, and it's, it, it can manifest itself anywhere. But really the culture of, of like the, the beer culture in, in, in Milwaukee was to bring the wife and kids Mm -hmm. to the beer garden you know not leave them at home i mean there were taverns at night that that women you know didn't really frequent and it would be a way for men to get out and socialize away from the family that doesn't necessarily mean that they went there to like knock them back and, mm -hmm. and get hammered it was it was again it was just this difference in in a in a in a, in a cultural event it wasn't going 
it wasn't it wasn't the alcoholism that was brought on by the drudgery of industrialization mm-hmm. and the hard work. I mean, a, a lot of I think a lot it of it wasn't escapism. It wasn't it wasn't escapism. It was what we do on Sunday. Yeah. We, we go to the Turners and we have a few beers and we mm-hmm. do cartwheels and you know and and that's that. So I yeah. Um, I mean, I know for me growing up, my dad used to make beer. And so, like, we would have, like, parties where, obviously, I wasn't actually drinking at this right. point. But I helped dad, you know, with the kegs or whatever. And, you know, we'd invite a bunch of friends over. And, you know, the adults were drinking beer. But you were eating food and hanging out. It was, like, very much a social event. Mm-hmm. Less than, like you said, just drinking to get drunk or kind right. of, you said, like you said, the escapism. Mm-hmm. Every event I went to as a kid, church festivals my birthday parties when yeah. I was a kid, there was beer. And, and, and I mean, the, the, the man across the street, Emil Herb, uh, worked for Pabst. So mm-hmm. my, my dad would buy the cases of the, the shorts, you know, the ones that, that aren't filled correctly or the label screwed up, and you got them at a discount. And, and, and I, think they might have, I think they might have given them to, to Mr. Herb. I think they were like, yeah, here, take them. Um, and then, you know, he would like, Give me five bucks, George, and 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 that's how we had. That's that's why we drank Paps. My my yeah. my dad was a Pabst man, Paps Blue Ribbon. That's all that was ever in the house. The first time I drank underage, mm-hmm. it was my dad's Paps Blue Ribbon <laughs> in the house. Most of the people in the city were loyal to yes. one one brand, yes. right? Yes. Well, yeah. I think that's still even true today. That you have like like my brother. I think drinks hams because it's the cheapest. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, but like my cousins drink like Bud Light, and you know, it's like you have your like beer, like, right. like that's right. what you're mm-hmm. going to get. Like I feel like once you get into like nicer beers, then maybe you're trying different things. Right. Or, mm-hmm. But you have like almost like a brand loyalty of like right. this mm-hmm. is this is what right. I'm going to to get. But fun fact: if you guys are ever in Nashville, the secret to not uh, paying obscene amount of money is Paps Blue Ribbon. For some reason, that's the cheapest thing in wow. Nashville when we went. Wow. My brother discovered that, and he's like, we're getting pepsed everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think that I read somewhere that the, I don't know how long that went on, but some of the breweries, like, after the men's shift, they'd be like, here, have a beer, like, complimentary beer. Well, I mean, I had my first boss... I was an electrician before, this is my second career, so I worked for a man, Mario Macari, and he was the head electrician at Pabst. That was was one of his big complaints, was the beer breaks that his guys would (laughs) take. They were sanctioned beer breaks, and he claimed, um, and and I I have no reason to doubt him, that, that sometimes the workers would purposely sabotage their equipment so that they'd have to repair it, and in that time, then they would have they would have beer. But yeah, the bucket boys, you know, that that was the thing. That I don't know that it is anymore. I don't know anybody who works at a brewery, but it, it was not uncommon. Yeah, here's your beer, take it. That's why I, I swear to God, they gave it to Amal Herb. Yeah. Cases, take them. We we can't use them. Bring the bottles back. Yeah. That was the only thing you you know you had to return the bottles. I mean, I don't know because I guess. I don't know how heavy of equipment breweries have now, like because obviously you can't be drinking if you're operating uh, I'm sure any the, sort of like machinery. 
So I don't know if that would. It's like anything yeah. else. The insurance companies wreck it for yeah. everybody. How yeah. rude of them. I'm going to get in trouble for that one. Looking, looking out for everyone's safety. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's really, it, it's, an, it's an interesting yeah. culture. It really is. So prohibition gets repealed. Obviously, a lot of these smaller breweries are gone or were taken in by some of the larger breweries. But I think only, is it only Miller that is still producing in Milwaukee today? Yeah, um, of Coors. The, the, of the big four. Yeah. yeah. What yeah. is, what is there But they're, they're in, in uh, Molson, Molson Coors now. Molson the Coors, name. yeah. It was Miller Coors for a while. Right. S.A.B. Miller before that. Right. Uh, but again, just consolidation, consolidation, consolidation. And then you look at, you know, like Paps today is essentially a brand, right? Right. Produced by other breweries right. under license. They get the label, but they're almost like a, a virtual brewery, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I think Wine and Kugels mm-hmm. makes one of them. Makes, I think so, too. They make, they make one right. of the old, the old brands. But um, so how did they start leaving... Milwaukee was it after Prohibition that they started kind of well going actually um, Pabst acquired Blatz in 1958 yeah um, and then they they really started to fall in the in the 80s um, yeah Strohs of Detroit acquired Schlitz in 1982 and then ceased operations at the Schlitz plant which interestingly developed within a three or four years into Schlitz Park the right. office park so that's a really you know, a great example of adaptive reuse, and, and you know, it, it didn't fall into disre- disuse, disrepair, right. like a lot of industrial sites do when they when they close. And then the other big one was Paps, which ended operations in the city in 1996. I believe they briefly came back right before before the pandemic. Yes, and there was like a brew pub at um, the actual sh- the Paps Brewery, right. right? And in fact, we sold a lot of. Um, images to them because mm-hmm. we have a beautiful uh paps uh collection and they were they were you know using the logos yeah for marketing purposes and 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 it seemed i mean they came in from los angeles to to visit here and go through um the, the photographs yeah um but they were pre- producing at a microbrewery scale right and and yes and and it was in the old paps mm-hmm. uh brewery and it was you know we went to a convention there my third year you know, 2016 the director and, and um, now director Ben Barbera um, and I went there and, and it was a convention for these um, micro breweries like mm-hmm. this but um, but yeah then it, it, it did it did dry up um, one thing that that prohibition changed was how beer was marketed there was a there was a real effort to get people to take beer home so that's when you begin to really see like six packs. Mm-hmm. Hey, pick up a six pack on the way home and enjoy it in your living room. Whereas, you know, watch watch the fights, you know, the Schlitz sponsored fights mm-hmm. on the local TV station with your Schlitz at home. That kind of thing, or perhaps. Um, so that that was a real uh, conscious marketing change because, mm-hmm. you know, even though we all agree it was a dumb law. The, the the there there didn't want to be the perception that you know wow oh, we're drinking again and we don't care um, it, it was an it, you know we really they really wanted to make it part of the family part of what mm-hmm. you do at home part of what you do on weekends yeah. you know you're not at the bar 
you know, you can be, but you can also be home. Yeah. And if we could look at Sprecher for just a second, and I think that's a really good example because, you know, it and Lakefront were two of the big microbreweries to start in the, the 1980s, really, the, the craft revival and, and, you know, really, really become iconic within the city today. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Steve, but the story I heard is that Sprecher initially started out just brewing beer and they started making root beer to offer something to children on the brewery tours. And the sodas essentially became the tail that wagged the dog, right? Right. And became the larger portion of of the company. So now their soda sales dwarf their their beer sales. They do both, and they're and they're known very widely actually for for their root beer. I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, there's a nice German restaurant there called Metzger's, and going there as a kid in the '90s, the two sodas they served, like the two non-alcoholic beverages they served were the root beer and the cream soda from Sprecher. And they still had, you know, the Milwaukee, Wisconsin on there because they hadn't, they hadn't been flooded out of uh, Walker's Point yet. Right, right. Hadn't moved up to Glendale yet. Uh, and that, honestly, that was my first exposure with Milwaukee as a little <laughs> kid. And it's just kind of interesting to think, right. you know, like the vast majority of the menu there is beer. Right. And then they have these, you know, couple of sodas and it's like it's there for the kids. And um, to me, at least, that's a great example, that kind of tour environment where they have a non-alcoholic option and it's really a family-friendly right, experience. Right, yeah. right. No, I remember because I think my brother was in college. I was still in high school. And we came to visit him and we went to Sprecher. And it's like the tour, you get like two beer tastings, but then it's like unlimited mm-hmm. soda for the kids. So me and my brother were just like drinking all of the different kinds of sodas. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's definitely like having that element of you know, if you have a kid, Gendo's probably like, what, 16, 17 at that time, but like, that you can bring them along. Because I know most of the time, my parents, like, if they were going on brewery tours, didn't bring us, because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you don't get to drink anything. Right. You know, it's less fascinating when you don't get the end result, but... Um, you know, the, the thing with, um, just to, you know, why, why the decline in, in breweries, I mean, it really, a lot of, it, it can be a very touchy subject just like why did Alice Chalmers leave yeah. why did Alan Bradley leave and it was you know it depends on what side you stand on whether you're you know a member of the union or whether you're a member of management mm-hmm. and both sides will blame each other but but the one thing that is consistent is uh, you know uh, uh, capital is mobile mm-hmm. and it can go where uh, production costs are cheaper mm-hmm. and that was a trend in the 70s through the 90s mm-hmm. for industrial cities like Milwaukee. And I yep. think that affected um, beer as well. So, um, okay, well, you know, you had a strike in 81. Well, Schlitz closed for that. But, I mean, th- that that is a way that management could, well, you know what, yeah. we're going to shift more of our production down to our Texas facility where there isn't a strong tradition of unions yeah. um, or anywhere basically in the south yep. and possibly the west coast. So that is that is another reason and you had mentioned this that that tastes changed that's mm-hmm. why you, you see light beer mm-hmm. less filling tastes great um yeah it's not yeah, my dad was he wasn't really alive at that time to, to drink light beer but i think he would have been like aghast at the yeah. idea of you know <laughs> oh it's like watered down um yeah. you know beer like that zima stuff remember that Zima, you guys are. Oh, uh, you guys. actually, I think my brother watched a YouTube video oh, on it, so I actually watched and like, <laughs> was it like 
supposed to be targeted to like women or something. Yeah, and yeah, like, I mean, guys, it failed, hit failed horribly. <laughs> um, but but you know, so there there were all these uh, these factors. Yeah. Um, Mechanization, automation, yes, uh, yes, international competition, absolutely. You know, and national competition. Mm-hmm. Coors, I remember that was like the big, the big beer. You know, oh, do you got? Do you have any Coors? And yeah. it was hard to get. And um, so it, it was a number of a number of factors yeah. like that. Well, that's even. Um, it's and you don't have to go very far to get it, but like every time we visit family in Ohio, it's like Yingling or something yep. that mm-hmm. like people right. in the Midwest want to bring back to Wisconsin because right. you can't get Yingling here. Yep. So it's like, oh. but and it's like even the same thing with the spotted cow. Yeah, spotted right. cow has right. that reputation in other Midwestern states. Right. right. My brother who lives in Detroit and is a big beer fan and always asks for that yeah. whenever. Whenever I have a chance. So you load up a suitcase on your way back? Well, hey, I can do that. I take I take the train, you know? I get, like, two giant suitcases. There's, like, the weight limit is 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 very high compared to flying. It's is there, much... Is there a federal law against that? Is it no, the only... The only no, the only... The only law is you can't... You can't take it out and drink it on the train. You have to... You have to keep it closed and stored oh, even, right. so I studied abroad, abroad in Germany and even the culture of like alcohol in public like you'll be on the train and people will be drinking beer mm-hmm. like on the train and like it's perfectly normal I brought my dad like my dad came to visit and we were on a train and he was like watching this going like are we in Milwaukee <laughs> <laughs> so, like, that's, that's something even weird for us to see you know other than like if it's a public event you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you don't see people like on trains or buses right. drinking. Right. Right. You know, that's but kind of a no-no. Oh, that's funny. But all right, do you guys have any other fun brewery fact story you want to tell before we give you guys the opportunity to make your pitch? Um, I can't. Can you think of it? Well, going back to railroads for a second, I'm kind of fascinated by how the railroads really were a double-edged sword for Milwaukee. You know, on on the so going back to before the railroads, um, as as John Goethe famously said, you know, Milwaukee being ninety miles north of Chicago was a marginal advantage in the age of sail that became a serious handicap in the age of rail because we didn't have connections directly to the east the way that Chicago did. So on the one hand, it really the railroads really allowed Chicago to assert itself as kind of the big the big transit hub in the region but on the other hand it not only solidified milwaukee as the dominant commercial center here in wisconsin but it also helped the breweries go national as as steve mentioned earlier um you know during during the great chicago fire in 1871 more than half of chicago's brewing industry was wiped out and a lot of that market was was captured by milwaukee companies um, and Chicago has its own actual like tradition with Schlitz. Mm-hmm. The, you know, they have the same kind of interest in in the history of Schlitz in Chicago. Um, so yeah, yeah. Sorry, and and by 1887, Milwaukee was brewing more than five times uh, more beer per capita than Chicago was. And um, you know, really, really, the railroads allowed Milwaukee's breweries to go national. If it weren't for them. Um, you know, I, I, I don't think you would have had that. You may not have had that big four period, right? right, right. When everybody looks at Milwaukee as, 
as Beer City. And then the, the other thing, kind of going full circle again, I'm, I'm just really fascinated by how we're now in an environment that's very similar to what brewing was like in the city, you know, almost 200 years ago. And I was having this discussion with Steve about, you know, do you think that, do you still see Milwaukee's brew city um, now that its beer culture is actually quite similar to a lot of other cities, right? Where you have brew pubs, where you have microbreweries. And, um, you know, as you said, it's still, it's still very distinct, very rich here. I, I think so, you know. You know, and even more, more of the culture, part of the culture than in a lot of other cities. But I, I'm just kind of fascinated by how Steve said, you know, it, it really has gone full circle. And we're back in an environment that's very similar to, to the mid-19th century and not nearly as much like, say, the mid, mid-20th century. Right. I feel like there's not as much of, like, a concerted effort with, like, the beer gardens. Like, I know, like, a couple places up north have, like, beer gardens, but, Mm -hmm. like, the ones in Milwaukee, it's, like, especially, like, Estabrook, is they have, like, a whole pavilion that Mm -hmm, kind of, like, plays on that German roots, and they're serving, like, traditional German beer, and it feels like more of an event or setting. I don't... And there's something about them being officially sanctioned by the parks, right? Which are public spaces, yes, which yeah. make them feel more public, I think, than if it were just, you know, a restaurant or a bar going al fresco, right, right. on the sidewalk. Whitmill yeah. Park does immense business as well. Yeah. And you can bring your dog. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's all there's a lot of advantages. And it, and it just, it, again, that has come full circle from, from the old, like, Schlitz Park, Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. all of you know, all of those Wonderland, all of those places, white the Paps Whitefish Bay, all yeah. of those. That was more private. There's owned, more of an overlap between <clears throat> beer and brewing and beer gardens and parks and recreation right. than immediately yeah. meets the eye. And, and it's it's, I think, come full circle mm-hmm. too. All right. So, well, first of all, thank you guys for coming on, and I want to give you an opportunity because you guys have a lot of cool events going on at the Milwaukee mm. County Historical Society. So if you guys want to make your pitch of why people should come and visit you, and my listeners, you really should. Yeah. Very cool people, very cool place. Well, I, if you're a genealogist, mm-hmm. um, we, we have some incredible records, uh, naturalizations. Mm-hmm. Um, prior to 1941, your, your ancestors mm-hmm. could naturalize at the circuit court, mm-hmm. and many of them did. So those are the actual documents. Those are not available anywhere online. Mm-hmm. They're one of a kind. Um, coroner's reports, civil court cases, mm-hmm. all of those things. And if you want to learn a little bit about beer history, yep. we got beer. We've got a great photo collection as well, um, a strong manuscript collection, small non-circulating library of books, lots of maps and atlases. It really is a great place to come, either if you're researching family history, if you have family here in Milwaukee, in Milwaukee County, or if you're researching the history of the city itself, or a particular aspect, right? breweries, transportation, parks, you name it. Um, And then on top of that, we've really been making a concerted effort the last few years to really take history out into the community. With our kayak tours, in partnership with the Milwaukee Kayak Company, uh, we give historical architectural tours that are two hours long on on the Milwaukee River from the mouth of the river under the Hone Bridge all the way up to Schlitz Park and back. Um, We also have trivia nights. And as we record this today, June 22nd, uh, we are having a images-only, photo-only trivia night at Turner Hall, which is very exciting, featuring photos from our collections. 
Um, 7 p.m. 7 p.m. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know we'll be probably well past that, but um, you know we'll have other trivia nights throughout the summer into the fall, locations in Milwaukee and around the county. Um, and then finally, you know, I, I love our speakers bureau. I just had a presentation last night at the Greenfield Public Library, uh, lecturing about Milwaukee's founders, um, Solomon Juno, Byron Kilborn, George Walker. Um, had a really good, really engaged audience, and there's something really special to me personally about being able to give back to the public libraries doing that, or going to retirement homes and being able to to literally provide you know the enrichment enrichment programs that they're so proud of uh, providing their residents. Yep. I feel like that's one of the things I love most about doing this podcast is learning like the local people that were involved in building cities and like major events, like even. I think it's um, Lapham Street or Lapham, mm -hmm. but it's. I think it's named after um, Increase. It is Lapham. Yeah. It is. is it Lap Lapham? Lapham. 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 So, okay. I, um, and actually, I'm going to talk about it more. I'm doing my next episode or next few episodes. I was going to do the Peshtigo Fire, mm -hmm. but like he's like kind of a figure in Wisconsin history that just keeps popping Natu up in different natural history. Most yeah. definitely, yeah. he's probably Byron Kilburn's one and only true friend. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, he was a, really like a genius in yeah. many ways. Well, because yeah. he cataloged the Indian mountains yes. that were left in yes. Wisconsin, but then that was for the Peshtigo fire. He was one of the people to realize, like, there's an issue going on here. Like, this can be dangerous. Obviously, yeah. he right. didn't get it to it. And that's after you talked about the Great Fire, Chicago fire. That's the same kind of weather issue that caused both of those fires. Mm -hmm. Happened on the same day. Yeah. But it's just like the fact that like I don't know I you because you said Kilborn, um, Juno, and Juno Walker, Walker. Yeah, I mean like it's like names that if you're around Milwaukee you hear those names but yeah. you don't know like the people behind those right. names. Yeah. And so learning that's just kind of a fun thing that you see it and you go, oh, yeah. I know something that most people don't. Yeah, and for your um, your listening audience, no matter where you are, we have um, video recorded versions of those presentations yes. on our YouTube yep. account. And then also worth noting is if you're not in the area or you you know can't make it downtown, we offer remote research for a fee. Um, so that way, um, you know, physical distance or barriers aren't aren't a limit on what you can get out of our resources right. here in, right. in the research library. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Did you have anything to no, add? No, no, no. Thank you for having us. Yeah, yeah. no, it was a real, real fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun. You guys have to come up with a new exhibit, and I'll come and yeah. right. interview <laughs> you about that. Challenge but. accepted. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. I almost forgot if you made it this far and you want to hear more, uh, make sure you like our Facebook page at Badgerland Journal or Instagram, also Badgerland Journal. Send us an email at badgerlandjournal.com or we have a new Twitter. We'll see how that works, but it's at BadgerlandJ. They wouldn't let me do Badgerland Journal, the jerks. Anyways, so make sure you like, subscribe, do whatever you can do on the platforms you're on, and it's greatly appreciated. Thank you!